HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're kicking off our end-of-year fundraising drive with a special discount offer from our partner, Heritage Foods USA, an online farm-to-table butcher shop specializing in heritage breed antibiotic-free meats. Donate to Heritage Radio Network before Sunday, December 4th at heritageradionetwork.org donate, and we'll send you an exclusive discount code for 10% off all Heritage Foods products. Help ensure another year of great food radio, get 10% off delicious and sustainably produced meat, and support small family farms all in one shot. How's that for a holiday miracle? Head to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate by Sunday, December 4th to make your contribution. This episode is brought to you by One House. Learn more about our comprehensive hospitality solutions at one-haus.com. Hi, this is Celia Kutcher, host of Animal Instinct, and you are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. We're coming to you live from Roberta's Restaurant in Bushwick, Brooklyn. It is Wednesday, November 30th, 2016. This is the 125th episode of the series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talents in the hospitality industry. So today my guest is an award-winning chef, restaurateur, and oyster connoisseur from Boston. I will introduce him fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. Today's tip is to tailor your outreach. It's important to take a targeted approach when you pitch. Know what the press covers and its audience before you contact them. Pitching with the right focus to the right people will increase your odds at getting coverage. So always shape your your media outreach accordingly. It will foster better results. That's my tip today. Now I'm very happy to have my guest here. It is Jeremy Seawall. He is a two-time James Beard Award nominee and award-winning chef and restaurateur based in Boston. 
Trained at the Culinary Institute of America, Jeremy has cooked in kitchens around the globe, focusing on seasonal ingredients and his New England food heritage. His restaurants, Eastern Standard, Island Creek Oyster Bar, and Row 34, have received accolades from the New York Times to the Boston Globe. He is the author of the best-selling The New England Kitchen book, Fresh Takes on Seasonal Recipes, and he's the co-author of an exciting new book, Oysters, A Celebration in the Raw. So there we have it. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you. That's a lot. That's a lot. I know, and I shortened it a little bit. They're good. <laughs> Restaurants, books, lots going on. So I like to start out with people's backgrounds and how so tell me how did you get into this industry did you always want to own restaurants and become a chef i you know i don't think i set out to say that i wanted to own restaurants i i grew up in a family that loved to cook and loved food both my parents are from southern maine my uh my dad's family um were lobstermen and still are most of my lobsters come from family members that catch them uh which is a great connection to have with the restaurants. But I grew up just around food, and I loved the process. I loved, you know, the gardening, the pickling, the canning, um, the catching of fish and all those things. And that's kind of really where the kind of, you know, affection and love for food started. And then as you get older and you get that first restaurant job and, you know, you just kind of get addicted, like, to the lifestyle and being in a kitchen and seeing the process. So that's – I've always won – I've always loved food um, – I didn't know where it was going to take me. I don't think the goal was to ever own a bunch of restaurants. The goal was to be a chef. And and when you're young, you know, to find something that you love is, is you're fortunate. Yeah, absolutely. And I saw you trained in Europe. Yeah, I spent a little time in Europe. I worked for Albert Roux and, um, you know, I worked in Maine at a place called the White Barn Inn. And they sent some staff from Europe over to work in America. And a few of us got to go over and work in Europe. I've and- been there. The White Barn. Yeah, and I actually, the first time, I went to Kenny Bunkport on a little road trip by myself, and I went there by myself. It was one of my solo dining experiences where people were looking at me like I was odd to be there by myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was incredible. It's a, I mean, just a beautiful place. And what a place to kind of start my career. You know, I, I went to the CIA and then graduated and then moved. You know, I couldn't, couldn't wait to move to Maine. And, you know, it was really funny. I took this job at the White Barn Inn. I didn't know what the White Barn Inn was. The gentleman who hired me, the chef there at the time, his name was Gethin Thomas, and he's still one of my dearest friends to this day, but he he's like, I'll pay eight bucks an hour and I'll never give you a raise. And I said, okay. And I got offered, <laughs> you know, I got offered a little more money down the street to work at a different restaurant. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know why, but I, I, I went to the White Barn and that just led to so many other things. I mean, lifelong friendships and career and all those things, but it was a great way to start. Yeah, I could see that. So when did you open your first restaurant? So the first on my own was um, oh, almost 11 years ago. My wife and I opened a little place called Lineage in Brookline, um, just outside of Boston. You know, you could throw a rock and hit Boston from Brookline. Uh, you know, I was a, I was in San Francisco for a lot of years. We moved back. I was a chef at a restaurant for a while and then, you know, really wanted to pursue our own thing and just kind of recklessly left my job and went to open my own restaurant. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's, when you're a young guy or young chef or couple starting out, like, I hope we open our own little restaurant someday. And we did that. It was 65 seats. It was in a great neighborhood and it was, had a wood burning oven and just a beautiful place. And we just actually sold it and shut down just a few months ago after over 10 years, only because 
you know, it was time. The lease was up. We have three kids. I was opening other restaurants. That was just ours. I didn't have the support I have with some of the other restaurants. So it was just kind of time to go out on top. So that's what we did. It's good to go out on top. I mean, it's, you know, it's hard to say goodbye. Very bittersweet, but yeah. 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 That, was, that was the baby. Yeah, I could see that. But so then when did you, when did you open your second place? So at, uh, at, we had Lineage and then uh, the restaurant Eastern Standard, my, one of my business partners, Garrett Harker, owns that. And he and I have been friends for years. And actually, I, he was in between chefs and I had worked in that hotel. That's when I first moved back from San Francisco. At the other restaurant that was there. So he and I knew each other. He came to me and said, hey, I'm in between chefs. Can you help me out for a couple of months in the winter? I said, yeah, I'll come down and help you out for a couple of months. And we went back and forth for a few few weeks on how that might work and kind of had a plan going into it. And I was literally going to go down there for a couple of months, help him you know, find a few people, help him get organized. And you know, almost seven years later, he and I own you know, five other restaurants together. I still help him with Eastern Standard. So he and I collected, you know, connected on that restaurant, had so much fun working together. I mean, we really, really loved it. And then the restaurant space next to that, Eastern Standard became available. And um, one of our great friends, Skip Bennett from Island Creek Oysters, we'd all kind of loosely been talking about doing something together, and it just kind of fell into our laps. And that's where we ended up all kind of partnering up to open Island Creek Oyster Bar just over six years ago. Yeah, so I want to know more about the partnership. So, but you don't you don't exclusively serve Island Creek oysters. No, and and we don't. Um, we serve twelve to fourteen varieties okay. from both coasts. You know, um, that's you know Island Creek makes up a lot of what we sell. But you know, we didn't want to, and nor did you know Skip's our business partner, and the idea of Island Creek oysters the restaurant was. That bringing a part of the farm into a restaurant and kind of celebrating, you know, the the farming and the growth and and what they do down there, in or inside of a restaurant. But it was never about one person or one thing. It was about a collaboration between all of us. Skip celebrating a bunch of his friends that grow different types of oysters on the Cape and relationships he has with people on the West Coast, you know, Hog Island or Hamahama oysters and just people we've get to, we've gotten to know over the years and love what they do. And it was just a ch- chance for us to showcase all of these people. So that was really what it was all about. Yeah, no, it's nice. It, it's a little with the name Island Creek Oyster Bar. It could be perceived that it's just Island Creek Oysters. Do you, I mean, it, do you get that or? No, I, we sometimes, I mean, yeah. not really. I okay. mean, people, <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, it's our most popular oyster by far. Um, I should charge double for the oysters for just Island Creeks. So I could retire by now, but we sell a ton of them. It's, it's just, that's the way people come in the door, and then we get to share with them all of the other stuff that we do. And um, it's it was never about just one thing. It was just kind of right. A, no, it's nice. Yeah. It's nice. And what is it about Island Creek Oysters that drew you to them, or was more the relationship? Yeah, it was I? You know, I first met Skip when I moved back from California, and I I worked with a friend of his, and it's like, oh my, my buddy's an oyster farmer. And I'm like, okay. He's like, do you want to go see the farm? I'm like, sure. You know, as a chef, you always want to see that stuff. And I went down to the farm. A couple of my buddies who worked for me, like a couple of the cooks and I went down, got out of the car. We're in the water with Skip inside of 15 minutes. His dad was a lobsterman. My family were lobstermen. We hit it off instantly. And as popular and as wildly successful as that oyster farm has been and the brand. And, you know, I always get to say I was the very first chef to visit Island Creek Oyster, the farm. So Skip and That's I were, cool. yeah, it was great. <laughs> Skip and I were friends instantly from the, you know, 
going down to the farm and having these kind of connections and loved what he was doing and was so mm-hmm. passionate about it and really, really cared about what he was doing and um, was so excited to share that with anyone that would listen. And I, I just loved it. So, you know, that f- friendship forged years before that. And then, you know, just kind of organically, we all just fell into a restaurant together. Yeah. Have you always been drawn to seafood and oysters and that sort of cuisine? Yeah, I think so. I just think from growing up mm-hmm. with a fishing family right. and spending the summers in Maine and working on lobster boats as a kid. And I just loved, I loved, I mean, I still love to go fishing. I love taking my kids fishing and, you know, going out there and harvesting your own food. There's just something really kind of romantic and about that for me. So I, I've always loved seafood. I, you know, uh, it's just something I've been drawn to. Yeah, I love seafood. This is my, usually my my choice on menus. What I what I go for. Good, you're my demographic. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. I have to get to Boston and and go to all your restaurants. I have a lot to do because you also have Row Thirty Four. Yeah. So Row Thirty Four came about three years after Island Creek Oyster Bar, and you know my joke is it's the prequel. It was the one we should open first because it was, you know, it's in the Four Point neighborhood of Boston, South Boston. It's um, you know. Very, it's all about beer and oysters. It's a great, incredible beer list. Uh, really, you know, there's no cocktails. It was beer and wine only. We were really focused. And the menu was just a little simpler version of what we did at Island Creek. Still the commitment to the oysters, the product, um, and the process. But it was just, you know, a little more approachable. Just something a little more casual we felt was kind of an everyday type of place. So, um, and it, it was a, we felt was a really good fit for that neighborhood of Boston at the time. And from there, we opened another row 34 in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, about a year and a half ago. So there's two rows. And then we just opened another Island Creek Oyster Bar in Burlington, Mass., just about 20 minutes, 30 minutes outside of Boston. I thought you were um, going to say like 20, 30 minutes ago. Because it was, it this feel, week, it was no, like recent, very yeah, in recently, right? the last right? weeks, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm, still in, I'm still in shock from the opening. But, uh, I mean, it's gone extremely well. And, you know, having a little bit of a, a road map, having already done one, was, was helpful. Right, and I, I'm, I, I need to get more familiar with these smaller towns because, um, I mean, it's so. Uh, is it more aiming to be like a neighborhood place, and it's yeah, there's I, that clientele. Yeah, I mean, I think that any restaurant you open, you have to really, you have to feed the people that are around you. I mm-hmm. mean, you can't rely solely on, you know, any restaurant's a destination. If you start a car, or walk out the door, you're going somewhere. So, we wanted to be something that felt like it kind of fit in the neighborhood really well was going to be a great addition um, to what was already happening down there, be a part of kind of helping spark kind of urban development and, you know, help a neighborhood kind of develop. And that's what we felt strongly about in Fort Point, you know, in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Same way, just a town that's really kind of blossoming, finding its way, you know, very familiar Portsmouth. My, my family's from York, Maine, which is 10 minutes from there. And it just felt like Portsmouth was just a You know, it was a small restaurant. It wasn't, you know, the most ambitious project we ever did, but really passionate about it. Felt really strongly that Portsmouth was a good spot for Row 34. Then Burlington is just this kind of, you know, there's all kinds of stuff happening in Burlington. High-tech business, medical, you know, all kinds of companies have just planted a flag in Burlington. And with that, um, they eat. So we we thought it was (laughs) a good spot to kind of put, you know, an Island Creek Oyster Bar up there. It's a freestanding building, beautiful build-out. It just felt like the right place for us. Yeah. Well, I see a road trip in my future. (laughs) And on that note, we're going to take a little break, and then we're going to talk when we come back about this amazing oyster book that 
is out now that you co-wrote. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by One House. At One House, we noticed that most serious chefs and managers don't hang out in brightly lit offices, so we go out in the field to gather the best talent wherever they may be. We meet and talk to them, like humans used to do back in the day. We are the people people. Our talent sourcing covers salaried dining room, kitchen, and corporate professionals. We thrive in Michelin-starred, James Beard, and mom-and-pop environments alike, from coast to coast. Drop us a line at one-haus.com or at info at one-haus.com for our confidential, up-to-date, and relevant career options, or if you're an operator seeking a culinary or management-level pro. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Jeremy Seawall, an award-winning chef and restaurateur based in Boston, and he just co-authored a new book called Oysters, A Celebration in the Raw, and his co-author is Marion Lee Lear Swabel, and it was by Abbeville Press, and I should be saying that all smoothly because, full disclosure, I am working on this book with them, uh, helping on the PR, so... I love the book, and I want to know, start out, how did you come to collaborate with Marianne on this Oyster book? Uh, that's an interesting question. I She kind of found me. We had a f- friend in common in Boston, and she was just trying to call around to see who who might help her with this. So had a little bit of you know background in the topic, and someone who she knew knew me and, and gave them my name, and she just kind of cold called me. Um, and it was, you know, it didn't seem that exciting at first. I really wasn't sure what they wanted to do. And, you know, I, it's being so engrossed in the in the topic of oysters, and that's kind of my life is oyster bars. And I was just like, well, you got to, you know, it's a pretty serious subject for me. I don't want to do something that's going to just fluff. It has to have some content and feel like a real project. And we met a few times, and she was very – she was great. She was incredibly – serious about it she was really excited about it very passionate about it and um you know she kind of talked me into participating in in the project so and you know it was just something i felt was it was a lot of fun to do it was really interesting i mean it's, it's like you know when i wrote a cookbook you you cook a certain way and you and i have for years but having to write it down and explain it to someone who maybe have never has never done it before was a different process and the same with the oyster book, when you have to sit down and write about how it's grown or where it's grown or what it might taste like or what it might look like, it was kind of really cool to kind of go through that process again in my own head and try to explain that to people. So she was amazing, you know, did, you know, really most of the content was was just she did all the research and the history and just made the book look fun and beautiful. And um, it was a lot of it was a great project. Yeah, no, she is amazing. And it's it's a beautiful book with great content on it's i mean it's a primer for all things oyster it's it's and you had scott snyder uh award-winning photographer shoot these gorgeous 
photos of oysters. It's it's beautiful. Yeah, when that was a big kind of stumbling block for me, just in my head, when they were trying to describe what the photography was going to be like. And, you know, and they told me who the photographer was, and I looked him up. I was like, what is this guy doing taking <laughs> pictures of oysters? Like, the stuff he does is amazing, like underwater photography and places all over the world. But when he showed me what he was doing and how he was doing it, it was just it was amazing to kind of see what he was coming up with week after week. So um, I taught him how to shuck and sent him oyster knives and sent him oysters, and he opened them himself for the photographs. You taught him well. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> you know, he's still no scars and, you know, got him open. And he, it was great. It was, and he was a lot of fun to work with. Like, he asked really good questions and um, was really interested in the topic. So that was fun. Yeah, and, and so, well, your your first book, you you worked with Mike, Michael Harlan Turkel here at Heritage Radio. Yeah, my soulmate. Yeah, yeah. no, so give him a shout-out. He, oh, he's the man. Love that guy. Couldn't have done it without him. Yeah, no, he, he's he's awesome. And so this book was a little different. And the how did you, you cover different oyster farmers. Like, how did you choose who, who you're going to write about? You know, it was, uh, you know, a skip obviously was an obvious choice. He's, you know, my business partner and, mm-hmm. and the namesake in a couple of the restaurants. Um, and what he does, I mean, just beyond that, his uh, he's been growing oysters for a long time. He is certainly considered one of the best oyster farmers in, in Massachusetts. I mean, he's just done so many things so well for so long. So that was an obvious one. Um, and then from there, it was just people we really felt did something really cool that uh, we wanted to talk about, had something to say. We, you know, we did both coasts. We did the South. You know, we did Alabama or um yeah, Alabama, Murder Point Oysters. Mm-hmm. And just talking about, you know, trying to kind of cover the all the coasts and the different areas of the country, but at the same time, finding those people that were really excited about what they do as much as we were and really wanted to talk about it. Yeah, no, it's great. One thing I learned, well, I learned many things from working on this with you guys, but the term meroir, like terroir, which I hadn't heard of before, but do you want to explain what that is a little bit? Yeah, I don't. I don't know if marijuana is a real world word. I think it is. It is but now. It is it's now. On, it's yeah. been on this show. It's going to have to go into the dictionary. It's part of our kind of vocabulary in the restaurants for sure. But it's just really when you talk about terroir with grapes and wine, it's the soil they're grown in, how that kind of affects the flavor. And it's the same with oysters. The water they're grown in is it deep water, shallow water? Is it really tidal? Um, is there you know? Is there fresh water that kind of flushes into where they're growing a little bit near the shore? It's just all of those different elements kind of end up affecting how an oyster tastes. Um, And that's what we talk about when we talk about marijuana is what's it taste like? Where was it grown? How was it grown? What affected the flavor of it? You know, the temperature, you know, was the water warm? Was the water cold? Was it deep water, shallow water? All those things kind of play a role in to the end result, the really cool thing is the same oyster can taste different throughout the different times of the year, too. So it's just a way we reference how oysters taste. I really think that makes sense to be a true word and concept. I mean, that everything, you, how you explained it is perfect, you know. And, and it, no, <laughs> yeah, it is. You, yeah. It is. I, I, think, I think it's great. Uh, what do you say to people who don't eat oysters, who don't like oysters, who won't try them? Because I do know some people... Who won't and are kind of, I hate to say it, but like grossed out by oysters in some level. They're, I'm not. <laughs> I just, love them. They're dead to me. Okay. Now, <laughs> um, 
you know, it's it's a different experience for everybody. It, you know, you can't force anybody to try something. I I think it's like, you know, growing up Catholic, you walked home on Friday and the house smelled like fish. You know, not that my mother wasn't a good cook, but just you know, mm-hmm. people kind of grow up with this idea of what something is, and I think. You know, when you get older and if you're willing to try and kind of re-examine what that actually is supposed to be, like fish doesn't taste fishy, oysters don't, you know, they have this right. great brine and, and you know, sweet, salty flavor to them. And, and just if you're really willing to kind of try something new, I think that it's been rare that we can't convert people to oyster lovers. I, I can't tell you how many people have had their very first oyster in one of the restaurants and where yeah. we take staff to the yeah. farm. I mean, it's really amazing when you take this the staff you put them all on a bus for training or you know a couple times a year we try to get people down there and they're standing in the water they work at an oyster bar and they've never had an oyster and skip uh, pulls one out of the water and shucks it and hands it to them like seeing that experience on their face for the first time i mean never have i not seen someone converted when they're at the farm so i believe it yeah you just gotta try it Mm -hmm. they're amazing so let me ask you the questions I had from my last show, episode 124. So I had on two chefs. I had on Joey Campanero, the chef and owner of The Little Owl and Little Owl, the venue, Market Table, and The Clam. And he works with Mikey Price, who's the executive chef and owner of Market Table and The Clam. So first, Mikey's question. What are some of your signature dishes at your three restaurants since they are seafood-based and their restaurant, The Clam, is also seafood-based? Uh, it, it, Island Creek Oyster Bar, one thing that we do, um, so we serve a lot of lobster. So we buy only whole live lobster, shuck all the meat ourselves. But when we're breaking down the lobster shells, we save a row. So row are lobster eggs that are inside of the lobster. You don't know that they're there until you open it. Um, so we save the row, and they're horrible, horrible green color. But we puree them with eggs, and we make a pasta with it. And when you cook the pasta, it turns red like a lobster. So we, really? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, so it's it's become one of, one of our signature dishes, lobster roe pasta that we do with, like, braised short ribs and mm-hmm. mushrooms. Just cooking it turns the color? Yeah, just like it does in a, in a lobster. Yeah. Oh, wow. Neat. So it, that's, you know, that's definitely a signature dish for us. It's kind of, and it kind of grew out of, like, wow, we have all this lobster roe. What are we going to do with it um, years ago? So we, we that's a signature dish for us at Island Creek. Row 34, I mean, besides the oysters, we do a lot of ceviche and crudo, but... Something that's kind of really done well there is we do a whole smoked and cured selection of all house cured fish, all house smoked fish, and you know do like a our version of a charcuterie board with with fish, you know hot and cold smoked and cured. So that's something that people I love seeing people kind of share that. It's really communal, something people can enjoy with the oysters. Sounds great. Okay, perfect. Next question from Joey: What's your favorite oyster? I'm dreading this question. <laughs> it's like, what's your favorite restaurant? I dread that question. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think Skip grows an oyster out at this one of his farms. Uh, it's called Sakewich, which is on the far side of Duxbury Bay. But um, he grows an oyster called Aunt Dottie's. And it's, it's Aunt Dottie used to live in the house that's still out there that, you know, she was a last year long. Um, resident who lived out there and, and if you see it you're like she lived out here all year long and raised kids it's out in the water it's crazy you know it's pretty pretty far to get there um so he named the oyster after his aunt Dottie, and he grows those out there in a little different way those are one of my favorites when you know he doesn't grow very many of them and they're pretty special but 
you know, it just depends on the time of year and where you are. And, right. you know, I think oysters are, if you're standing in Tomales Bay in California and eating, you know, Hog Island oysters in Tomales Bay, that in the moment is my favorite oyster. If I'm standing, yeah. if I'm standing in the water and Duxbury or Chatham and eating oysters, those are my favorite oysters. So that makes sense. That's, yeah. that's, that's good. Yeah, I get that. That's smart. And last night we had this this oyster party, and there were Aunt Dottie's there. And yeah, they were, they were delicious. Yeah, they're and, amazing. Yeah, and someone I know on Instagram uh, posted how it was now his new favorite oyster. So easy, easy to compare yeah. people with those. <laughs> um, well, great. And then the other thing that Mikey commented on was that he's now working with Billion Oyster Project. He just gave them five hundred pounds of clams to see if. Uh, are you familiar with the? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I mean, they're really just trying to reintroduce um, wild oysters into the Hudson. In the Hudson, Mm -hmm. yeah, um, which are naturally occurring. I mean, there is oyster reefs everywhere at Chesapeake and New York and New England, Um, but we ate them all. Is really what happened, and then pollution and disease, and you know, kind of played its part. And now, what we're learning is, or what we learned a long time ago, is oysters are such an important part of kind of the the system. They clean the water. You know, they they do so many positive things to the body of water they're growing in um, that it's important that they're there. So they've worked on the Charles River, cleaning up the Charles with oysters. Chesapeake has done a lot with oysters, and, and New York is doing the same thing. So it's amazing. It is amazing. I think at some point I'm going to see if they'll come on the show, talk more about that. So that's great. Okay. Those are the questions, and now we're going to take another break. We're going to come back and play my speed round game and talk some industry news. Now, before we do, I just want to remind everyone that All in the Industry is brought to you by Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported nonprofit radio station devoted to all things food. HRN needs your support during our big end-of-the-year fundraiser. So you can donate to HRN by going to heritageradionetwork.org backslash donate and from me and everyone here at Heritage Radio, we greatly appreciate your support and thank you in advance. Now, we will be right back. Thanks.
And we're back. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Jeremy Seawall. It's time for my speed round game. What this is is I name a couple of things, either or. You just pick your preference. Okay. Like chocolate or vanilla. Gotcha. Okay. So here we go. Eat in or eat out? Eat in. Wine, beer, cocktail, or mocktail? Beer. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Large plates. Communal table or chef's counter? Neither. Really? Right. Okay. You don't have to. Chef's counter. It's, there are no rules in the game. Okay. I'll have to get more into that later, why you don't like them. But <laughs> How about tipping or all-inclusive charge? Oh, wow. Uh, tipping. East Coast or West Coast oysters? Oh, I got to say East Coast. Okay. No, I love yeah. my West Coast people, but I love East Coast Hometown too. Hometown wins. Cocktail sauce, mignonette, hot sauce with lemon or naked? Lemon. Okay. And we'll note there's one recipe in your book for mignonette, mignonette yeah. sauce. I mean, it's a classic sauce. Yeah. I love yeah. it, but yeah. my choice okay. is just lemon. Lemon. Last one, Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Boston? Oh, come on. Boston. <laughs> I got to say Boston. I mean, I thought I thought you'd go with Boston. Yeah. That was probably an easy one, but you were excellent at the game. You got the speed. You you knew you know what you you like. Easy questions. <laughs> Not for everyone, I have to say. Um, well, that was great. Okay, so industry news. One article I picked out was in the New York Post titled Trump Tower Security, a Complete Nightmare for High-End Restaurants. This was by Natalie O'Neill. So this is talking about how President-elect in his uh, Trump Tower, which is in Manhattan on Fifth Avenue near Central Park South, and it's just um, it's hurting the businesses because there's security around it, and there's some quotes in there. Um, one of the, the founder of Uncle Jack's Steakhouse said, it, it has been a complete nightmare. Um, David Chang, who has Ma Pesh around the corner on 56th Street, He's saying um, business has been down, and he, he had a, a tweet that the end did make make Fifty Sixth Street great again. Um, so, and it's not just restaurants hurting; it's it's all the businesses yeah. around there just by the security and what's happening. So, I don't know what my my opinion. You might well, have no, I mean it's it's you know these people when they signed a lease and agreed to pay rent didn't ever anticipate this happening. I mean it's really. You know, some part of it, I'm sure, is exciting for New York, but the other part of it, these are people are just trying to run businesses. I, I, I hope it doesn't last much longer, you know, and people can kind of get back and um, get a little bit of normalcy around there. I mean, it's, it's tough. I don't think that's the intent of our president-elect being there, but it's just the result of him being there. So it, it's unfortunate, but I, we just need to keep in mind to support those people and, and remember that they're there. No, it's true. Yeah, it's true, and and everything you said's right, and I think um, normalcy to try to have around around the area and get the foot traffic back because that I think is what's what's been down. Yeah, any restaurant tour at any level, any success level, or you know, fine dining to casual, like it's hard. It's just a hard business, and any obstacle or challenge that gets lumped in the regular ones just make it that much more difficult. So I'm not, I'm going to go over there and eat before yeah, I leave New York. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's. The- Great. We should, anyone listening to the show, go support your restaurants Absolutely. in that, that neighborhood in Manhattan because uh, they need you. And, uh, okay, the other article I had just came out on Grub Street and 
titled Iron Chef America is Coming Back. Yes, it was gone by Caitlin Fontana. And this is talking about how Iron Chef America, which was really one of the first, if I think it was the first competition show, chef chef competition show that people were really excited about paying attention to on the Food Network. And it's been off the air for a little bit and they're bringing it back. And Alton Brown is going to be hosting again and it's they're calling it Chef Iron Chef Gauntlet is the new title. Um, I don't know. Have you ever been on Iron Chef? No. I, it, <laughs> I wouldn't I be haven't. surprised if you had. No, I, I've only ever really done one of those shows. I did beat Bobby Flay once. Okay. And I'll save the suspense. I didn't beat Bobby Flay, but um, <laughs> I did make it to the end against Bobby. And, I mean, those shows are legit. Like, you're working. I mean, it's hard. I, it's, you know, to cook a perfect meal or as perfect as you can in the best circumstances are incredibly challenging just running around in a kitchen you're not familiar with so i think those shows are fun um and they're exciting but from you know for me personally and a lot of my peers it's like it's like watching work it's really stressful to watch those shows and um but i think it's cool i mean it gets people excited about the industry excited about cooking yeah but it's not it's not anything i would look to do yeah, I will. It's nothing I would look to do unless they, they want to judge. I'll judge. <laughs> yeah, eating is the fun part. Yeah, I'll do that. But, uh, yeah, no, that's, it's when you watch Iron Chef uh, from the previous episodes, it's very intense. And I don't know how chefs make it happen in that limited amount of time. I mean, the pressure and all, the, you know, and you don't know the ingredient and well, I, Yeah, you know, I think that just says a lot about, like, real chefs who are – you know, it's a craft. You work on it your whole life and, you know, you get smarter about some things when you are getting older and you figure things out. So, I mean, it just says a lot about those guys, their ability to work like that under pressure and, you know, put together great dishes. I, I, it stresses me out just thinking about it. But, <laughs> you know, I wake up early to go in and get ready, you know, for five o'clock. I can't imagine yeah. doing that day in, day out for an hour. No, I think there's some people, some chefs that are good at the timed um being very creative and right. quick thinking, and then some some really talented chefs just aren't made for that style. Absolutely, and some people can react that way. And just I think a lot of chefs. I mean, we can overthink things anyway, and then if in the moment you can't, you just got to go. So that's you know, some people are good at that, and some aren't. So. Right. Well, we'll stay tuned. This is supposed to start airing in spring 2017. We'll see who's competing, and I don't know if it will be exactly the same, but it should be. A new version of it, and that's fun. I can't wait not to watch. <laughs> I hear you. Okay, we're going to take one more break. I'm going to come back. I'm going to do my solo dining experience. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network.
Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. It's time for my solo dining experience. So this week, it's at Naue, Miami. Here's the rundown. Location, 661 Brickle Key Drive, Miami, Florida. The concept, intimate Japanese experience with an omakase menu. Their motto is, it's not fresh, it's alive. The chef, Kevin Corey, who trained under Kaseki chefs in Japan. So why did I go? Well, because I was in Miami, because it's my hometown, I visit a lot, and I've always been curious about this place. My experience. I emailed the restaurant a couple months in advance to reserve a spot, because it's only an eight-seat restaurant and has two nightly seatings. A few days prior, my reservation was confirmed by text, and I provided a credit card. My meal was actually charged the night before. The signless restaurant is on Brick Key, which was a bit tricky to find, although the staff did provide good directions. So when I arrived, I seated at the chef's counter next to another solo diner who happened to be from New York, and we chatted most of the meal while watching Chef Corey, who prepared the tasting menu directly in front of us. Service was extremely warm, friendly, and personable. Now, what did I get? So it was a first course was an elaborate bento box, followed by nigiri zushi and dessert. So it consisted of about 12 bites or small plates. It included sushi, oyster, sardines, uni, matcha tea pairing with sweet cake, and there was a soy sauce ice cream, which they actually asked the guests to try to guess the flavor. Um, I also had gen matcha tea to go with my meal. So my take, sushi was wonderful, and each dish was unique and beautifully presented. I'd say my favorite bite was the unagi. The ambiance, so it's an intimate, modest room with a few tables and a chef's counter. It's perfect for Japanese food lovers with expense accounts. Interesting tidbit, Chef Corey had trained at a traditional Kaseki restaurant in Japan, and his family has a sake brewery called Nakamura Brewery in Japan that was established in the 1800s. His family also makes their own soy sauce, which we had. Personal fun fact, so at the end of the meal, I chatted with the chef about his inspiration from Charlie Trotter because he overheard me say that I had worked there, and uh, he was super nice, very soft-spoken and kind. Now, the cost of the meal is $200. I also had a tea, and tax and gratuity are not a part of that. So as I said, it was pricey. Would I go back? Yes, if you're paying. The website is Naomi, Naomi, naomiami.com, and that's N-A-O-E miami.com. That's the experience. Sounded good. Yeah, it was good. Um, I'm glad I went. I It's it's kind of like, it's like hidden little gem in Miami. I'm brickled key. Okay. Well, I'm going in February, so. Are I'm you gonna... going to the Food and Wine Festival? I am, yeah. Well, I'll be down there. Oh, good. Yeah, I lo- uh, it's a great time go from the northeast to miami yeah that's typically why me and lots of chefs go down yeah, there exactly oh cool i will look for you so this is this is near brickle area which there's so much development happening and um the beach is not that far from there okay that's great okay great so it's time for the final question next week my guest is tom calicchio he is the founder of crafted hospitality he's a celebrity chef james beard foundation award winner book author, top chef judge, and social and political activist. I'm sure everyone listening to the show knows who Tom is. So, Jeremy, what should, what would you like to ask him? You know, there's a lot of, I think, uh, what's on a lot of restaurant people's minds is um, 
how is the industry going to handle the potential of non-tipping? What is, how's that going to affect the industry? Okay, I'll, I'll ask. Is that in Boston something that's been happening? Yeah, it's not yet, but it, we we see it coming. I mean, we see the you know minimum wage changing, um, not getting the tip credit. Not, nothing yet, but I think that's the way that things are going to go. And I'm just really curious how the industry as a whole is going to handle it because it's, it's going to be really tough. Okay, I will find out. I'm sure. I'm sure, it's something he's given thought to or has an answer. <laughs> Some, someone smarter <laughs> than me is going to have to figure it out. <laughs> Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay, so that's the show. Great. Well, thank you very much for having me. Thank you for coming on. Um, anyone anyone listening who's in New York City, there's a book signing tonight at Shakespeare & Co. for uh, Jeremy's Oyster Book. I, we, will, we will be there. It's at 7 o'clock if you, if you want to go there for a book signing um, and to, to meet him. And... Uh, just to wrap up, my guest today has been Jeremy Sewell, award-winning chef and restaurateur based in Boston. His restaurants are Island Creek Oyster Bar, Eastern Standard, and Row 34. And as I said, he's the co-author of a new book, Oysters, A Celebration in the Raw. You can find him at Jeremy Sewell, at Island Creek, and at, is this right, at ESKD Boston is one of your um, Twitter handles? Uh, I had written that down. Uh, well, no, that's the restaurant's Twitter. That's the restaurant. so it's, yeah, I mean, it's yeah. at yeah. Jeremy Soul okay. is my Twitter or my website. Got it. And uh, for Oyster Book, we're, we've been hashtagging it, Oyster Book and Abbeville Press on, online. And their website's islandcreekoysterbar.com and abbeville.com. Now, you can find me on social media at Sherry Bayer, at Bayer PR, at All Industry. Check out my Facebook page. It's all in the industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com and SherryBayer.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes and Stitcher. And I'd like to thank my show's fall season sponsor. It's One House Hospitality Headhunters. You can find them at One-House.com. On Twitter, One underscore House. And Instagram, One House. And that is spelled O-N-E-H-A-U-S. Thanks to my fabulous engineer, David, and thank you to Jeremy. I appreciate you coming on the show. You're welcome. I'm Sherry Bayer. I'll be back next week. Hope you'll tune in then. Thanks for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. Listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. On the top of the hill you see hey!